Welcome to She Wrote That. Here, our goal is to uplift hardworking female writers, bloggers, authors, journalists, and storytellers. Each episode will feature a conversation with a different female writer where we dig deep about everything writing related, from being a woman in the industry, to developing stories, to editing style, to mentorship. We are so excited to have you here. Welcome back for our third episode. I'm your host, Charlotte Barnes. I'm so excited to be back this week with another great guest. Today, I'm talking with journalist Savannah Berman. Savannah is a politics reporter with the Politics Now team at USA Today, where she reports on national political breaking news for the network and its affiliate papers. In her year at USAT, she's reported on the 2020 election, President Trump's impeachment, and the political atmosphere surrounding the coronavirus pandemic. Prior to her current position, she was a news associate for CNN, where she spent time writing for digital, working with CNN's political unit for the 2018 midterm elections, reporting from Paul Manafort's trial, and producing from Capitol Hill. Before that, Savannah interned with Northern Virginia Magazine, USA Today, C-SPAN, and CNN. Her internships gave her incredible opportunities, such as attending White House press briefings and covering President Trump's inauguration. She has also written for Team Vogue. Savannah is a graduate of George Mason University, where she studied communication with an emphasis in political communication and journalism. Savannah and I discussed everything from using Twitter as a professional, how to make the most out of your internships, and why having well-rounded multimedia skills as a journalist is more important now than ever. Stay tuned to hear our discussion. So my first question is, tell me about how you first became interested in journalism. Yeah, so um, I became interested in journalism through participating in the speech and, debate, speech and debate program in my high school. I grew up in a very small town in the middle of Utah, but we had a very good speech and debate program that really allowed me to talk, write, and debate about politics. And it was from there that I knew I wanted to pursue some kind of job in politics where I get to just talk to people about it and write about it. But I became particularly interested in journalism um, after the 2012 election. So growing up in a very small town in Utah, it was predominantly white, Christian, and conservative, meaning that I would say 90% of my high school was going to vote for then Mitt Romney running against former President Barack Obama. And being in my speech and debate program and learning about politics and talking about it, about about it um, with other people all across the state, I knew that electorally Mitt Romney statistically was probably not going to win. And when people would talk about it, and I was indifferent to either candidate, I wasn't even old enough to vote. I think I was like 16 or 17, right? Um, I would just realistically say, like, you know, you might not want to get your hopes up too much just because, like looking at other states outside of this kind of bubble that Utah was, he's probably not going to win. And the day after the election, my car was vandalized and I had threatening notes left on my car just because I had raised a difference in opinion to a couple of my peers. And it was from then that I decided I wanted to steer my career in the direction of journalism because I wanted to be able to have difficult and truthful conversations with people regardless of their beliefs just to talk about the truth of what was going on. So that's why I went into journalism because I wanted to do something where I could educate people about politics and current events. Oh wow that 
that just sounds like a terrible experience just for having a difference in opinion. Yeah. And it wasn't even like, like I said, like I wasn't old enough to vote. It was just, I was pointing out a different perspective and I would just say, you know, if you're looking at the polling coming out of these states and just how Obama performed in these states in 2008, he's probably not going to win electorally. And that doesn't mean anything about the state of Utah. Of course, Mitt Romney was going to win in the state of Utah, but I was just pointing out a difference in perspective that was based on the facts of the time. And they didn't necessarily like that. And at the time it was super upsetting. And I obviously was upset by it because these were my peers and my high school classmates, but it ended up being the best thing that probably could have happened to me career speaking, because it opened my eyes to what I wanted to do and the fact that I didn't want to go to school in Utah and I wanted to go to school in a more diverse place. And that's why I chose to go to school in the Washington, D.C. area. Yeah, that's good that it it at least changed your point of view and something good came out of it. And like you said, you went to school in the DMV at Mm -hmm. George Mason. Yes. So was it politics that drew you to the East Coast? It was politics and I think um, a lack of opportunity. I wanted to be in a place where I would be able to get internships in journalism. And so I was looking at schools in the DMV area and I was introduced to George Mason through the Washington Journalism and Media Conference. Mm -hmm. And going back there and being able to work with the staff of the conference and being able to be introduced into the university opened my eyes to that school compared to some of the private schools in D.C., And, um, yeah, I just kind of, I think from my junior year of high school onward knew I wanted to go to school in the DC area and George Mason was just the right fit for me. Was the move a big culture shock? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It was because George Mason within itself is a large institution Mm -hmm. and it was a culture shock just because, like I said, my hometown in particular in the middle of Utah was very small, um, I think each graduating class had around 100 students, and that was coming in from a four small towns feeding into the small high school, so a very small rural community. Um, then I go to George Mason in the middle of Fairfax, Virginia, which is giant, mm-hmm. and it was such a culture shock in the sense of the amount of people, but also the type of people, because I had always grown up surrounded by the same type of people who thought the, who thought the same way, looked the same way, and we're kind of cookie cutter versions of one another. And then I go to George Mason and Northern Virginia, DC, and everybody looks differently. Everybody thought differently, believed in different things. And so when I first walked onto campus, I was like, well, this, this is not Utah anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to college next fall and I'm from a fairly conservative area in Florida. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely going to be a big shock for me as well. <laughs> Where are you going to school? I'm going to Northwestern. Nice. Yeah. It'll be it'll be a shock, but in a good way, because I think that one of the most important things that you could do um, as a young adult is to open yourself up to different experiences and areas and people. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. I'm just I'm excited because I've lived in the same area my whole life, like mm-hmm. you were saying that you have. So it's definitely going to be a different experience. Oh, yeah, for sure. But it'll be a good one. Mm hmm. And so what did you major in at George Mason? Um, I majored in communication um, with a minor in political communication. And from there, I was able to focus that into journalism. 
So George Mason didn't have a J school like some schools do, but that I found that to be okay, just because most of my communication classes were journalism classes. So those, would you say that studying those subjects has helped you in your jobs in your everyday life now? Yes, I definitely think so, just because um, specifically within my political communication minor, I had to take a lot of history classes, a lot of political theory classes, um, and that was especially prevalent um, during like the 2016 elections. That's when I was taking a bulk of my political theory and science classes, and so that was really interesting to see that kind of play out in real time, but I think that particularly for journalists um, speaking, if you want to be a journalist, you don't necessarily have to study communication or journalism. You could study just political science, or if you want to be um, an international correspondent, you could study international affairs, what have you, just as long as you know how to write and speak to people. You could realistically study anything you wanted in college as long as it relates some way to the profession. Yeah, I've heard that from others, too. Mm -hmm. But that political communication study sounds fascinating. I I applied to GW, actually, and that was my intended major there. And Mm -hmm. that whole, the whole major just sounds so interesting. Yeah, and it was really fun because you are in classes with people who are probably as big as political nerds as you are, right? So you just sit Mm -hmm. there and talk for hours (laughs) about past elections, political theory, and party system, everything you can imagine. And so it was really, I particularly enjoyed it just because it was an hour every day talking about those things and then being able to sit there and write about those things. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. And while you were in college, you had the opportunity to intern with so many major news sources such as CNN and C-SPAN. Tell Mm -hmm. me about what that was like. So Honestly, I think that being able to intern at those news outlets was such a, it was the bedrock of what now is my career. Um, And it was great. I tried to intern at a bunch of different type of outlets. So my first internship was at a magazine, like a local magazine where I was doing a lot of writing just about events and people within the Nova area. And then my second internship was at USA Today, actually with the editorial board where I would sit and edit the op-eds that were coming in and reaching out to different politicians and stuff to write op-eds and fact-checking. Then my third internship was at CNN. So on on the broadcast side of things, so sorry, C-SPAN. So also on the broadcast side of things and then CNN with the political unit. So I tried to really dip my foot into the pools of all the different kinds of journalism. So I knew what I would want to do when I graduated if that makes sense. So I had a little bit of experience in everything to say, I really liked this or I didn't like this. So I know that I want to go in the direction here. And so I found that to be very useful. Yeah, that's definitely a good idea. And obviously being in the DC area definitely helped you with that. Oh, yes, for sure. And I think that just as long as you have the opportunity to apply to internships, whether it's in journalism or whatever field, then it'll put you a step ahead of others who are also going in that direction. Mm -hmm. And so after your internship with CNN, you ended up getting a job there. Do you have any advice for students in internships who are hoping to eventually get a job offer from the company they're interning with? Um, Network. 
network, ne- <laughs> network, network, network. And if you're going into journalism or PR, anything within the comm world, that's something you, that you hear constantly, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that that's one thing that helped me transition into being a news associate or a fellow at CNN was I made it a goal every week during my internship to get um, lunch with somebody. So whether it was a producer of a show, a reporter, a correspondent, the director of the news associate program, I would just reach out and be like, I'm an intern. I'm really interested in talking to you because of this. Can we please sit down for like a 10 minute meeting or get or get lunch? And 90% of the time they'd be like, yeah, sure. Let's schedule lunch because they love talking to aspiring journalists. And I think that that really set me up because then applying for the news associate program, I could go back and um, say, well, I had a really great conversation with so-and-so and this is what this is what they told me about the news associate program that I think would benefit me in the long term. And then the director of the news associate program would reach out to them. And so it built a network within the company, which I think was very helpful. That's so great that everyone responded so positively to networking with you. Yeah. And I think that that's something that as journalists or young professionals in general, there's always a fear of sending what could be a cold email. So you send an Mm -hmm. email and they don't respond, right? But Mm -hmm. you just have to keep reaching out and reaching out um, because most likely people just don't see the email. They're not deliberately ignoring it. So um, most people are willing to reach out a helping hand to help the next generation. That's great advice. Thank you. And aside from your internships and your academic studies, do you think you participated in anything at Mason that helped strengthen your reporting abilities and your eventual journalistic career? Yeah. So my freshman and sophomore year, I participated within both the newspapers, so the fourth estate at Mason, and then also Mason Cable News. And I didn't do... I didn't do that like full time or spend tons of time working with them, but being able to work with other journalists my age and being able to work with reporters just on stories around campus, I think really helped. And then um, going back every summer to intern or work as a staff member for the journalism conference that introduced me to Mason. And so just being able to go back every summer and be reintroduced to the speakers and the simulations. And then I was also very involved in um, my sorority on campus. And I think that that was a particularly interesting experience. I didn't expect to impact my professional career in a way, but it really did because I was able to assume leadership roles and then being able to speak to a large group of women who think who may think very differently on subjects than you or disagree with you, but being able to have constructive conversations with them every week and to be able to build your confidence in addressing people, I think that that's something that's really been able to translate well over into my journalism career when I'm talking to sources or groups of people because I know that they may not agree with me or we, it may be a difficult conversation, but I'm able to do that with confidence. It sounds like all those very different experiences help get you out of your comfort zone. Exactly. And that's what I would really encourage anybody going into college or people students still in high school is to involve yourself in as many different organizations as you can because that's going to really broaden your skill set 
And I think that's incredibly important and will translate over into your professional life. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Mm -hmm. And so now you write for USA Today, which is obviously a huge national publication. So tell me what a day in your life is like working there. (laughs) Every day is, no day is the same. Every day is different, (laughs) which is honestly kind of the appeal of journalism to me, at least every day is something new, keeps me on my toes, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly because I'm a breaking news reporter. So um, I might be breaking news myself, or I might be reporting, writing on somebody else's reporting or whatever happens. So one day I might write about something that's happening in the election and then close out my night writing about news that just broke out of the White House. And that's been really interesting as a young reporter, um, just because I want to cover politics, but I'm not 100% sure what beat I want to cover yet. So a beat meaning like the White House, Congress, Supreme Court. So this is really giving me an opportunity to write and learn about all of them. Um, It's been a little different working from home because I would probably spend a couple days a week up on the hill if we weren't in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. And so Mm -hmm. it's been a little different adapting from home. But yeah, every day is different. Just talking to sources or writing. Some days are crazy busy and I might write six articles and then another day I might only need to write one. So it really just depends. Do you think you have any sort of typical turnaround time for a story? Um, there's so, so there's some stories where I might be assigned something as like a, here's what you need to know about such and such primary elections. And I have a couple days deadline to do that. Or there are some stories where it's breaking and I need to just get a couple graphs up and post as soon as possible. So it's most of my stories are just like are to be posted as soon as possible. But then there's some that I'm able to really dive into and spend a couple days on, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Was it difficult adapting to that very quick pace style when you first got this job? Honestly, yes. Um, so within my fellowship at CNN, I was doing a lot of producing work. So that meant like working on shows or working the breaking news desk. So I was Mm -hmm. used to a fast paced environment for sure. But I had only spent a couple months at the end of my fellowship at CNN writing for them. And it was usually not on stories that needed to be posted ASAP. And so it was a shock in a sense where I was still in a fast paced environment, but I was having to pump out articles very quickly instead of alerts or um, graphics or audio like I was doing at CNN. So it was just a different kind of content. And that to me was, it was definitely a skill that I, when I first started, I would be writing way too much and giving way too much background and details. And I was really learning how to flush out the information that was critical for the readers to know. And I think that that was just something that came with practice. And like you were saying earlier, there's always just so much going on in Washington. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know that as part of the breaking news team. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But how does your team and your coworkers, how do you all at USA Today stay focused and keep on top of everything going on on the daily? So sometimes, honestly, sometimes it's hard because there's just such, there's so much information out there that sometimes you could feel really bogged down in it and be like, Mm -hmm. what? do we need to write about what's important for our readers to know right now? So I think that that's been a skill that I've also learned and my fellow reporters have 
is really being able to look at the information and be like, this is what we need to write about right now. And I think that that helps us stay focused, being able to focus in on one thing at a time. Um, and I think that kind of not like getting sick of the political atmosphere is also having to have a love for it. Mm-hmm. And the, I've, so I've been at USA Today, USA Today since last August, so almost a year. And it has been just a crazy year for politics, right? Yeah. <laughs> there was an impeachment. We almost went to war with Iran. Now a pandemic and everything that has catapulted from that. So it's honestly hard to get bored or not want to write about things just because there's so much that people need to know about. So I just try to keep that as my center focus that like people need to know about this and I'm just going to have to focus in on this one thing and write about it. That's a good idea. Do you guys ever feel like a sort of competition though with other outlets say if Politico's running a story and you all are like we need to get on this story right away? I mean, I think that there's all there's competition within outlets inevitably just because it's the nature of any business you're going to be you're going to have competition with other businesses because you have to stay afloat right yeah but um there's also just between reporters though there's a really great camaraderie and everybody just wanting to tell the truth and put out good stories and make sure that they're flushing out their sourcing and their data and everything amongst it so I would say that if there is is any competition it's probably higher up than the reporters Mm -hmm. at least from my personal experience talking to other reporters at outlets Um, but I think that especially young reporters have a great camaraderie between us and if somebody else does break something then we just know that we need to source it ourselves and just post it as quickly as possible that's great that there is that camaraderie camaraderie because it can be such a competitive field and online it seems like people are attacking journalists all the time and it's great that you all are sticking together. Yeah, and I think that that's something that since I've moved into the reporter side of the industry, I've noticed and I've been appreciative of is if somebody is attacking a reporter for something, other reporters will stand up whether they work at the same outlet or not and defend mm-hmm that journalist just because I think that they realize it's it's not an easy job and we have to defend one another in order to keep doing that job yeah yeah I've seen a lot of that publicly with the White House Correspondents Association lately well mostly toward the start of the pandemic but it's great that everyone is banding together yes I agree and with that Do you have any other sources or publications you'd like to read to keep up with the news, whether it's global or things going on in D.C. or back home? Um, So I just try to read as much as possible. Um, I really rely on a lot of the big outlets. So every morning I try to skim through the front pages of the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal. Um, I always have some kind of Uh, whether it's NPR or C-SPAN or something like that on in the background when I'm working just to try to, if there's anything that pops up, I'm aware of it. Um, But I also do enjoy watching CNN, ABC, CBS. So I just try to expose myself to as many outlets 
it's possible to make sure that I'm just getting all of the information regarding an issue and reading as much as I can. And I think, and it, it can be exhausting and there's some days where I'm just not up to it and that's to be completely honest and truthful, <laughs> but I, I just do it as much as possible. Just read um, as many as outlets as you can to just try to get as many perspectives and all the information that you can. Yeah, that, that's just such a great idea from the nonpartisan journalistic perspective, trying to get everyone's different opinions on it before forming your own. Exactly. And I think that even speaking outside of a journalist, just as an American citizen, mm-hmm. I think that that is one of the most responsible things anybody could do is to just read and try to learn as much as you can about a topic and question the sourcing that you're reading and try to corroborate it with another source or outlet just to make sure that you know the full truth of everything and then you can make informed decisions from there yes yes I definitely agree with you on that I in my last interview I did we were talking about that and talking about how people just don't don't seem to question sources enough and I think it's a little different coming from a journalist journalistic background because you tend to question sources more mm-hmm. look at the bias of a publication and it, I wish more Americans would do that <laughs> I agree fullheartedly, and I would even extend beyond that and just outside of publications, just a lot of the stuff floating around on social media, particularly Facebook, and just some of the things I see people share, and I just look at it, and I'm just like, this isn't remotely truthful. Like, Mm -hmm. why would somebody share that without, like, reading into the background or a simple Google search to see whether it's true or not. I think that social media in a sense has made Americans or just people in general across the world, just like it's so much easier to just click and share something if it matches your personal political belief rather than to take the time and Google whether it's true. So I think that everybody has become a little bit lazy in that sense. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. I mean, the past few days I've told my parents I'm going to make a little Facebook information sheet that shows people how to find and spot fake news on Facebook because I'm friends with a lot of my parents' friends who are older and Mm -hmm. they don't seem to have the same ability at questioning sources and telling when a website looks a little sketchy and isn't quite (laughs) the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I'm in the same boat. (laughs) It's just gotten... Facebook is just a whole different world. It's so interesting to to compare Twitter to Facebook because Twitter is mostly it feels like news. And then you go on Facebook and you're like, where where is this even coming from? And I definitely do, just as you were saying, I think that also is a little bit of a generational thing. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people our parents' age were not, I mean, we had the world at our fingertips since we were young teenagers and they, mm-hmm. this is something that they were just getting introduced to in later adulthood. And so I feel like we just have such a different perspective on some of these things and being able to look at something and being like, that's fake, where they may see it and just be like, well, it's on Facebook. So I don't know if it's fake or not, but I like what it says, or I don't like what, what it says, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just whether it agrees with you or whether it doesn't agree with you. It doesn't necessarily have to be true. Exactly. it's hard to believe (laughs) I feel that I feel it especially in an election year where there's a lot of stuff flying from both sides and I'm just like guys just just google it 
It'll be less angry, I promise. (laughs) Yeah, or sometimes I'll see, like, I saw this thing the other day, and it was, like, mob of eight people attacks pregnant woman, and they just, like, have all these pictures. There's no news sourcing. I was like, they could have taken the pictures of literally anyone, and, like, they could have taken them from any, like, jail or county in America and just stuck them together and be like, these people attacked this person to try to to try to stoke hate. It's it's terrible. Yes. And that is something that's been, I think, particularly driven in tense times. And these are tense mm-hmm. times. Um, and I think that's why people need to be more diligent. And if I see something and I'm like, I don't know if this is true or not, I just take the extra three minutes to Google it and be like, that is true. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Or that's not true. People yeah. shouldn't be posting that. And I think that we just have to be more careful than ever to make sure that we're not spreading disinformation. Mm-hmm. And that takes a level of work and to acknowledge the laziness that comes from just clicking share. Mm-hmm. But I think it's something that we need to do. Yeah, I think that's very true. And it's like everyone knows that Snopes exist, but not everyone is using Snopes and sourcing their information. Exactly. Or when people... I'll even see someone post a Snopes article under uh, perhaps like a meme or something that they've shared that's not true. And the Snopes article will be saying, this is a fact check. This isn't true. And then they'll Mm -hmm. comment and be like, well, this is fake news. And I'm like, that's the opposite of fake news. (laughs) Just because it doesn't fit within your political realm and it's disagreeing or fact checking this thing that you posted that you liked doesn't mean it's Mm -hmm. fake and I think that that's kind of a dangerous term that's been normalized just across the spectrum just if you don't like it it's untrue and that's just not how reality works yeah (laughs) yeah it is very dangerous when people are just considering facts they don't like fake news like no that's not fake news they're just facts you don't like (laughs) yes and I mean you can say that just be like I don't like that this is what it is and it Mm -hmm. should be different because of this but it's still not the same as disinformation and I think that's something that's becoming harder to distinguish between Mm -hmm. so and speaking of social media you of course have a twitter which is how we connected in the first place so tell me a little about how your social media presence ties into being a journalist so I think that um my social media presence is I mean just as we were talking about a lot as you said earlier a lot of what goes on on twitter is news mm-hmm. right so i think um i try to use my twitter to just share news and what's happening and do my very best to keep any opinion i may have about anything out of it and i think that that's advice i give for any young adult going into college or seeking jobs it's to keep your opinions and just con- anything controversial off of social media mm-hmm. because that's going to be the first thing that employers or whomever is going to be looking at, right? And yeah. so I think that that's something that I really had to learn within my first couple months of my fellowship at CNN coming out of college is just like you think that like things are like – funny or whatever and I just realized that as a journalist I play a different role in society and now I just from that day I was like I'm only going to be using my Twitter for news 
and occasionally posting pictures of my dog. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> like, it's just, and I, and I think it's just because journalists serve such a different role in society than other professions. And mm-hmm. so I just really try to keep it um, just as black and white and pictures of my dog as I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is so interesting. It, it's so interesting as a journalist because I've heard, I don't know if it's next fall, but eventually I know at Northwestern I'm going to have to take a class on building my social media presence mm-hmm. as a journalism as a journalist. And it feel it's really interesting because when you get on social media when you're like 13, you're thinking, oh, like I can post anything, like haha, I'll think this is funny. And then yeah. reflecting like five years later, you're like, why did I post that? And I know exactly. eventually I'm going to have to go through my Twitter and remove everything embarrassing I tweeted in middle school. <laughs> Exactly. I, but I, at least if you can acknowledge it now and just build on it now, then by the time you do go into the professional world, um, it will make it so much easier. And you already have the practice of knowing what it's like to run a professional or try, right? Try to mm-hmm. run like a professional Twitter because it can be exhausting and it can be like, there's some things I tweet. I'm just like, I don't know if tweeting about this personal thing is funny or if I shouldn't because I'm a journalist. And it's kind mm-hmm. of a line sometimes where I just choose, mm-hmm. like, I'll type something up and I'm like, oh, this is like something funny that happened to me today. And then I look at it and I'm like, but no one cares because <laughs> they're probably following me for news. So I just end up deleting it. And I'm just like, no one needs to know about this parking incident or whatever, you know? Yeah, I think it's funny, but sometimes mm-hmm. I just scrap it because I'm just like, it's not worth it. <laughs> Did you see you, who you're following and who your followers are, like, transform as you stepped into the professional field? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think I I think I created my Twitter maybe when I was a freshman in college or senior in high school, something mm-hmm. like that. And then I think my I think in, I've always followed a lot of journalists and news outlets, but I think that once mm-hmm. I... Um, started at CNN and then moved to USA Today, I've noticed that my followers changed from being like my sorority sisters to being members of Congress and members of the administration and other journalists. And to me, I was like, that's that was kind of baffling at first because I was like, why do you want to follow me? And then <laughs> I, and then, then you realize, oh, wait, I am able to use this outlet to do my job mm-hmm. in And I think that's such a crazy thing that even 10 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to think, oh, yes, Twitter is going to be a major push of news. And if something happens, Mm -hmm. oftentimes people will tweet about it before they write about it. And that to me, I a lot of the older journalists at USA Today talk about this and they're just like it. Social media has changed the game so much and how fast Mm -hmm. news breaks and how on top of it you have to be. So it's been, it's been crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. The woman I spoke with last week, she's, she's written for my local newspaper since 1988. Mm -hmm. And it, we talked about just how much it's changed the game and our, our local newspaper actually is a food Facebook group, which she's the moderator of. But it was really interesting to talk about how it has dramatically impacted how outlets engage with their communities obviously it's very different for you guys being USA Today but they have 
22,000 people in their Facebook group just talking about food in my county in Central Florida. And it's it's oh just gosh. really interesting to see how it's changed. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And it's just wild because years ago, you would never think that that's like a sense of journalism and giving back to your community, but it really is. Being mm-hmm. able to moderate conversations and give people the full information about things. And it's just journalism is rapidly evolving with the internet and I think social media is a main driver of that so it's it's been a crazy I don't know when like 15 years I don't know 20 (laughs) years for the industry but Mm -hmm. yeah 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 definitely a lot of change Mm -hmm, for sure and with that as a journalist nowadays you pretty much have to have well-rounded multimedia skills Mm -hmm. did you feel challenged when you first came into the industry and felt like I needed to write, I needed to produce, I needed to be shooting videos? Oh, yeah. And it would be particularly kind of astonishing in some of my journalism classes when you have these, you would have older journalists saying, if you want to go and write, that's the only journalism you're going to do. Or if you want to go and be on air, you have to start as an MMJ at a small market and work your way up. Those are the only two things. And then going and working at CNN and realizing half the people there didn't do that, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that because of social media and the advancement of technology, writing and being on air and even producing, all of of it is intermingling. And especially Mm -hmm. when you look at journalists who are on air in a smaller market they're writing their own stories for digital they're shooting their own packages they're producing their own packages they're doing everything Mm -hmm. and you have to really be able to hone in on like your shooting skills and being able to talk and do the reporting and write about it and it's that's not something i expected i don't think when i came to college or moved on into the industry was having to do all of that. I didn't come out of college with a reel, which is something that you need if you do Mm -hmm. wanna go and be on air, just because I was so focused on, at least for me, the political communication side of it. And Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to be a political journalist, but I came out of college and I was like, oh wait, this I don't even have this. That's something I should have been doing all along. <laughs> and so it can it can be overwhelming, but I think as long as you just try to practice as many of the skills as you can within reporting and journalism, then you'll be able to secure a job. And even just you having a podcast and being able to practice your interviewing skills and talking to people and you producing these, that's mm-hmm. going to be such a skill for you to have going into the professional market. Yeah, I, I'm definitely excited I started this. I'm excited that I get to talk to cool people like you, considering I write, like talking to other writers is pretty much a dream, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited because I am pretty much just a writer. I was editor-in-chief of my high school newspaper, and when it came to using InDesign, I would feel extremely challenged, and mm-hmm. I'm glad that, and I, I mean, I eventually got better at that, and I'm glad I'm building skills this way, and hopefully I'll build video skills when I get to college too, but it's, it's just crazy how much everything flows together nowadays in journalism. It is. And I think that, especially within my fellowship at CNN, I mean, we were expected to do and learn everything 
that it took to run the company behind the scenes. And it was honestly such a blessing because I would go and work with inside politics and build graphics for them. And then at the end of like my couple months doing that, I'd feel like that was a good skill to learn. I don't know if I want to do that full time as a career, but at least I know how to do the basics of that moving forward. And I think that having a job like that was really interesting because I literally did a little bit of everything. I would go out and shoot and field produce and write and like run around the Capitol and work on shows. So I think that being able to have a job like that too would be very helpful. Yeah, it, re- it really seems like there's no better place to learn all those skills than CNN. Or just honestly, uh, any of the networks have programs similar to that. Some of them call them desk assistants or news assistants. I know that CBS has a great program and NBC, um, ABC. So I think that for aspiring journalists, whether you want to write or be on air or be a producer or anything, if you can just get into a program like that, then you learn everything. And then you can, when you're applying for jobs, you can be like, I want to be a writer, but if you also need help with this, I have experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can help. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a great resume builder. It was. And it was just a great experience builder. And mm-hmm. like I said, was able to help me look at the different skills and jobs and be like, I really liked this and I didn't particularly enjoy this. And I think that both of those things are equally as useful. Yeah, that just, that sounds like such a cool experience. I'll have to bear those type of opportunities in mind as I get into college. Yes, for sure. And, and one of the things I can say about applying for internships and fellowships and jobs is just, if you think you're over applying, you're probably not applying to enough. You're going to apply to hundreds and hundreds of positions and probably not hear back about most of them. And that's okay. Like that's just the nature of the industry, but it's the ones that you do hear back from that are going to ultimately matter. So just over apply Mm -hmm. to positions that you think you're too qualified for or positions you think you're underqualified for, because honestly, just being able to sit down with someone and interview for a position is the game changer of the whole Mm -hmm. process. Yeah, that, that's great advice. Even just interviewing is a skill building opportunity and getting to interact with people from different networks, different publications. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. And so I have a few questions I'm asking everyone I sit down with. Okay. So the first one is, if you could go back in time to when you first began writing, what advice mm-hmm. would you give yourself? To not beat myself up over small mistakes. Um, I think that particularly in writing and in journalism, it's inevitable. We're human. You're going Mm -hmm. to make some small mistakes. And I'm somebody that if I do something wrong, I dwell on it. I sit there and I kick myself and I'm like, oh, you should have done this or you shouldn't have done this. And I feel like if there had been a couple moments where I hadn't been so bogged down and being disappointed in myself, I could have just learn from it and moved on quicker. And I think that could have benefited me. I think that could have benefited me. That's great advice to give, especially as a writer, because everyone gets edited. Mm-hmm. Everyone makes mistakes. Yes. And a lot of times <laughs> it can be hard to learn that at first. And it is. And there, I mean, God, there's times where I see something or I made a mistake and you sit there and you beat yourself up so much because you idol, you idolize yourself to be 
like these great journalists. Mm-hmm. And then I just would sit there and be like, oh, I, made a, I made a mistake. So-and-so wouldn't do this. Or I wish I could be mm-hmm. like so-and-so. But then it t- actually took my editor telling me, you don't think that those people made mistakes in the beginning of their career too? That's how they're so great now. So you have mm-hmm. to learn from this mistakes and just be able to move on. And I was like, okay, I, I can do that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. That is good advice to give. <laughs> Thank you. And what advice do you have for other female writers in particular? Um, be unapologetic. So I think that, and I think that can go into any industry, any career. And I found myself doing this particularly in college. And I think it was just from the culture I grew up in, in Utah, where I was afraid to speak my mind or have big ideas. And if I did, I would almost have, I would almost feel like I would have to wait for the approval of someone else before I knew it was a good idea. So I would just say young female writers or just young females in general going into any business is to be unapologetic in what you know to be true, what you think are good ideas. And if someone tells you no, to just keep pushing because I I think especially now women have a voice like we've never had before Mm -hmm. and that we need to really be utilizing that because there aren't enough female journalists and there aren't Mm -hmm. enough women in newsrooms and that needs to change. So just be unapologetic, work hard, and don't feel scared or demeaned or anything like that and if you do then report it It, this is also not a time to if somebody says something inappropriate to you or makes you feel less than worthy because of your gender um then report it and don't feel afraid to do so because if you report it and nothing happens and that says something about the outlet not you and you need to move on from that outlet that is very true I recently read Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrell. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've read that, but it, yeah, yeah, it was, it, it was fascinating. Just it is just so much goes on behind the scenes. And it was fascinating about NBC, like me just sitting watching the Today Show would never know that all of that was going on behind the scenes. Exactly. And I think that, I mean, this is just the time to speak up and be like, this is not OK, mm-hmm. whether regarding anything whether it's inappropriate or just demeaning or it's just a bad comment or whatever just speak up and just like i'm not okay with that don't say that (laughs) yeah so yeah just to be unapologetic yeah i love that because it is just so feel easy to feel like you need to be sorry about everything you can feel like you just need to say sorry when you fail and you don't necessarily have to say sorry or be sorry about any of your cool ideas if people don't like them like you said just keep pushing exactly and I mean I just for example just like there the one article I wrote for Teen Vogue about um Derek Kitchen who is was one of the um people who helped reverse gay marriage in the country um he ran for a state senate seat in Utah and I'd originally pitched that idea to CNN and I kept pushing it. I was like, he's running for state senate. Like, he's nationally important. I think this is a really cool story. Mm-hmm. And they didn't bite. And I was just like, okay, well, I'm technically a freelancer in my fellowship. I'm going to pitch this elsewhere because I think it's a cool story. And I didn't apologize for doing that. I didn't ask permission. I just looked up the rules. I was like, I'm not going to get in trouble for this. And I did it. And it ended up being the first 
published piece that I had ever written. And to me, that ended up being a pretty pivotal moment in my career. And I could have just been like, okay, I'm sorry for pushing too much. I'm not going to like bug you guys about it anymore. But instead I was just like, okay, if you guys don't think it's a value, I'm going to take it elsewhere. And I did. And I think that I was able, I was in a unique position to do that because I was technically a freelancer. But again, just don't let people, don't let anybody tell you that an idea may not be particularly good enough when it is. That's amazing. That really worked out for you. It did. <laughs> it ended up being, and it was such a cool opportunity. And I think kind of every girl's dream to, I don't know, like Teen Vogue, you know, mm-hmm. it's one of those magazines you grow up reading. And so it ended up being a really cool opportunity. But mm-hmm. there were times where I was just like, I don't know if that's like the correct thing to do. I don't know. I was kind of timid about it. Then it actually took another coworker to be like, just do it. Like, why not? And I was like, okay, I think you're right. <laughs> so, yeah. That's great. And what do you think is the most important skill that a writer can have? Um, to be able to write in different formats and ways. So I think that if you are a writer and you can write a really great short piece right to the point on breaking news, or if you can write a longer formatted article or whatever, I think just being able to possess the skill set to write eloquently and um, well in all those different formats will serve you going forward in life. Because there's going to be some articles where it's a profile piece and it's longer, has more color in it. And then there's going to be other pieces where it's just straight to the point, two sentence graphs, and that's it. So I think if you can master all of that, then you'll be steps ahead of other people your age. That's very true, especially with all the multimedia stuff we were talking about earlier, having that skill set is important as well. Exactly. And I mean, just even if you go on and look at journalism jobs, a lot of the journalism jobs are a newsletter writer. So if you can Mm -hmm. write in the newsletter format or an article or longer formats, then you'll be set in whatever writing position you want to do after college. Yeah, you'll be kind of unstoppable. <laughs> exactly. And you can be like, I, you want me to write a newsletter? I can do that. And it'll be a great newsletter. Or <laughs> like it's the less that they have to sit there and try to teach you within the position of writing, it will help you astronomically. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. Yes. And are there any books you've read or publications, I guess, that have seriously changed how you approach writing or what topics you like to cover? Um, I don't know if I would particularly say any books or publications. I think that I've always known that I've wanted to cover politics and I've wanted to all, well, at least since high school, I've known that I've wanted to do that from a journalist standpoint. So, um... I don't know if there's been any that's changed my mind. I think that I enjoy reading political books in general and history books because I'm kind of a nerd. (laughs) I love love documentaries and stuff. And I think that Mm -hmm. there's books and documentaries and outlets that amplify it. But I don't think there's been any that have changed it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, that definitely makes sense. I love reading history and political books, too. And I think that can be very beneficial if you're interested in political journalism exactly because then if something happens you know the context behind it and 
it changes your reporting entirely. Mm-hmm. So I think that just again, just read as much as you can. And it's hard in this day and age, but yeah. that's, I just try to take a few minutes to an hour every, every day and read outlets or my book or whatever to just try to put my phone down and get away from that side of the news world. Yeah, that's definitely a good idea. Mm-hmm. And I know it's probably hard to choose, but do you have a favorite or a group of favorite stories that you've written? Um, oh, that is hard. Um, I think that one of my favorite, as I was talking about earlier, was that profile piece I did for Teen Vogue. And it's not my best piece. And I read it and I'm like, oh, I wish I would have talked about this too. But I think it was just very important for my career and pushed me out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that my favorite piece I've done while at USA Today was a peach from inside the chamber of the Senate impeachment trial into President Donald Trump. And it was more of a color piece. So no cameras were allowed in the Senate chamber. Mm -hmm. And so we, um, Crystal Hayes and Nicholas Wu, two congressional reporters I was working with, decided to write a story from the perspective of what the public couldn't see inside the Senate trial. So we wrote just because... And I think it, I liked it because it humanized a lot of these Capitol Hill giants mm-hmm. and senators to see people falling asleep and sneaking <laughs> snacks and mm-hmm. right and playing with fidget spinners and doing that kind of stuff. Because we got to talk about what was happening in the Senate trial and why it was so important. But also we were able to humanize the politicians making these critical decisions for the public. And I think that mm-hmm. I can always look back on that piece and be like, that was a cool different piece than anything I'd ever done before that is just so interesting when I first got into Northwestern they connected me with a girl who um is she's more into broadcast journalism but Northwestern does this program called Medill on the Hill and they all get press passes during our winter quarter and Mm -hmm. they all went and covered impeachment too and just the stories it it just sounds like such an interesting experience oh my gosh it was crazy (laughs) I wasn't up there for um the house's side of the impeachment um I was just up there for the senate side and the trial Mm -hmm. but yeah it was just crazy because we would be in the chamber for hours late into the night I think one Mm -hmm. night it went almost until 1 a.m and just seeing like half the senators fall asleep and I was like I feel you I am also (laughs) tired so Mm -hmm. it was really interesting I'm sure. And especially as someone who loves history and politics. Yeah. And I honestly, it was a very humbling experience as well, because before that I was like, oh yeah, I know about Senate impeachment trials. And then I go in and there were all these procedural things I had no idea about. And it's very old school in some senses. And it was humbling because I was also learning as I was reporting Mm -hmm. and it would be exhausting and I would sit there and listen to podcasts all day before my shift and be like, okay, I just want like a reminder of everything that happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was a lot, but it was a great learning experience as well. Mm-hmm. That's just so fascinating. <laughs> and when people read your work, what do you hope their biggest takeaway is? Um, I hope that people just learn something 
And I think that that might be very cliche from a journalist standpoint, but I hope that they can read something, whether it's like, whether it's something that's broken in the day already. And it's at that point, maybe commonly known, but I hope that I can, I try to provide some interesting context or background into each of my pieces. So if people read past the first two paragraphs, they may learn something additional. Um, so I, I try to write every article with that in mind. That's great intent to have, especially as a journalist. I try. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, that's all I have. But thank you so much for taking your time to talk with me. I really appreciate this. Of course. Once again, a huge thank you to Savannah for joining the show today. To keep up with her, you can find her at Sab Berman DC on Twitter and look for her bylines in USA Today. To learn more about our show, you can find us at She Wrote That Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and at She Wrote That Pod on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening again this week. We'll see you next time.